I am so glad that you are joining us today as we are continuing a collection of sermons together called All Love Everything, where we are learning how to love other people the way God wants us to by receiving fully, understanding fully his love for us. Because we made this statement in part one. And if you missed part one, you can go back and watch it another time. The podcast is available. The, the sermon's available for you to watch on our YouTube channel. But we made this statement right off the top. It's sort of a foundational thought for this whole series that until we see God's love right, we cannot love others right. We can do our best. We can try to muster something up and extend our, our most generous. And not, but here's what's true. Until we see God's love right, we cannot love others right. But once we begin to see God's love right, then within us, we have the ability and even more the responsibility to love others. Come on, I'm so glad that you're here today. If it's your first time to join us in church, it's your first time to join us at church online, or maybe to listen in some capacity, welcome. I'm so grateful that you're here. And if you're diving into the middle of this series, oh, welcome. I'm so glad you're here. But you're going to find that on today, um, this sermon, particularly for those of you who may not be people of faith, you, you may agree with a lot of what I say, but uh, understand that much of what I'm going to say actually isn't directed at you. Today, specifically, I am talking more to those who are people of faith, those who would call themselves people of faith, those who think they are Christians, who know they are Christians, and the responsibility to love that God has called us to. You see, for people who say that they know God, for people who say they love Jesus, that he has changed their life, that they have received his free gift of salvation. Hear me. Loving other people is not a luxury for those of us who say we love God. It's actually the evidence that we do love God. See, we have these theme verses, if you will, for this little collection of sermons, all love everything. And it's found in 1 John chapter 4. And it's written by the Apostle John, but at the very end of his life, you could refer to him, if you would like, as Grandpa John here. And Grandpa John tells it to us this way. He says, let us love one another, for love comes from God. And everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. We emphasize that last little phrase in part one. Again, you can go listen to it, go watch it, that God is love. But I must back up right before that to the beginning, but then also to what is right before that to help you understand the gravity of this thing that we are talking about when we talk about love. I'm not talking about some neat little side dish next to the main course that you are making. John says, whoever does not love does not know God. Like, if you are a Christian, you are told through the scriptures to love others. 
That's what you... That, that is what you are instructed. That is what I am instructed to to love others. But even more specifically here, John says we are actually to love other Jesus followers. That we are to love other Christians. There's a famous church father back from the 300s or so, by the name of Jerome. Jerome uh, was f most famous for translating the scriptures, Old and New Testament, into Latin, which may seem completely useless to us today, but Latin was the, it was the English of that day. And so he translated the scriptures into a language that would allow it to be circulated far and wide. He also through study and research and conversation because he's literally living not too long after literally the apostles, literally Jesus lived, uh, shares in commentary, shares in some of his other writings, uh, things that would go on in the early church, helping us to get a better understanding of how the church operated and what was going on. And, and some of these people that, that we know from scripture, like what happened after what scripture records. And Jerome talks about the Apostle John, Grandpa John, getting in his very late years in life. That the Apostle John was actually so weak at the end of his life that whenever the church would gather together to have what we might call a, a service, a worship experience, right? That, that John would actually have to be carried to the gathering. And John would sit, and he would listen, and he would participate. And at the end of every gathering, maybe it was out of respect for who he was. Maybe it was because uh, they understood the, the, the weight and the role and the significance of this apostle, John. He was often asked to share an exhortation. Uh, some of you church folk might call it a benediction at the end of the service. And what Jerome tells us that historically would happen over and over and over again is at the end of these services, right before everyone would be dismissed, the Apostle John would stand up and he would say the very same thing. Little children. That's what you can call people when you old and you know what I'm talking about. Like, little children. I know y'all are adults, but little children. Let us love one another. Now, this actually began to bother some of the disciples who would gather in these meetings that John would be a part of. They were like, John, can you change up the name of the sermon series? John, can you put just a little bit of seasoning on this, on this closing benediction that you are giving to us? Why every time do you say the exact same thing? To which he replied, because this is the Lord's commandment. And if only this is done, it is enough. Let us love one another. Let us love one another. John's focus initially when he says this 
is people who are family in Christ. People who are connected because of the sacrifice of Jesus. People who are connected because by faith they believe that their sin is covered. Somebody that watched part one needs to clap in that chat. Their sin is covered because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ, because of his grace on their lives and their faith in what he has done for them. He, he says, we are to love one another, those of us who are in the family of Christ. But here's what's true today and probably in that day too. More often than not, that doesn't happen. More often than not, what we do instead of love one another is we criticize one another. We condemn one another. We see a need that our brother or sister has and we, we turn our eyes and attention away from it because it's easier to ignore it. It's easier to act like we didn't know. It's e I'm messing with you. It's easier to act like we didn't see it. It's easier to pass by on the other side than to lean in and love one another. We demonize and criticize other people who believe in the same Jesus. Come on, if I could just get a little bit churchy for a second. Who are covered by the same blood. We demonize and criticize them. Because they are drawn or connected to a slightly different flavor, expression, or maybe even theological stream than we are. Oh, they got the basics right. They got the, the most foundational things correct. But because they flow like that, because they look like that, because they let those people do that, because they dress like that, because they think like this, I would rather tell you what's wrong with them than love one another. And we see it every day. On large scales and on small scales. There's a relatively small Methodist University in Kentucky. Maybe you've heard about it in the news these last few days, week, week and a half. At this point at the time, I'm preaching to this live right now. It's a little place called Asbury University. It's in a little town half an hour outside of Lexington, Kentucky, Methodist school, where on February the 8th, they walked in to have one of their bi-weekly chapel services, which maybe you're not familiar with, but me, uh, as someone who went to seminary, the, the, the Bible college I went to, I, I'm very familiar with this environment, right? I mean, every day of my college tenure at 11 o'clock, for us, it wasn't bi-weekly. I think it is now, which thank the Lord. But like at the time, it was Monday through Friday. It was every day, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Like at 11 o'clock, we had chapel and you had a little bit of worship music like we do in service. You, you, you would have a time of prayer like we do in service and then you would have the preached word like we do in service and then everybody would go on to class or to lunch or back to bed or whatever. And this little Methodist university in Kentucky, they did this February the 8th. But something stirred within a few of them when the time was done not to leave this. And it didn't start as much. It was basically a handful of students who 
stayed around and continued to worship, continued to pray, continued to confess and repent of, of sin. And they didn't stop. They haven't stopped. Over the last few days, people have begun to use the R word about what's going on at Asbury University. You see, the R word, I know the F word. No, 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 not, not, not bad. I mean, in, in church circles, it's a, it's, a, it's a word reserved for something significant. They've begun to call it a revival. A revival. And I don't care whether you call it a revival or not. But now this little Methodist university literally has lines wrapped around their multiple auditoriums. And every hour of every day for now the last many, many days, there have been hundreds of people in these rooms praying, worshiping, confessing sin. People in the city, people in the community, people in the region, people around the country are flying in just to be a part of it, just to see it, just to hear it, just to figure out what's going on. And whatever you call it, call it revival, don't call it revival. It's a beautiful thing. When people's desire to be pure and holy before God, when people, when the urgency ratches up inside of people and says, I don't want to leave this space until you touch me. Come on. I don't want to move from this place, God, until you deal with what I can't deal with on the inside of me. That's a beautiful thing. The only thing that's not beautiful is the fact that there are droves and droves and droves and droves of people who call themselves Christians of, they call themselves pastors, teachers, theologians, professors, skeptics, uh, who, rather than talk about how wonderful this is, how great is it that some college students, not some famous preacher, not the biggest worship band on the planet. No, no. An acoustic guitar in a room that looks like it ain't been updated since 1851. And some, some college students are literally singing and praying and repenting and crying out to God. How beautiful is that? Yet there's all these people of faith who say nothing but critical things about it. And I don't understand it. Why are folk who love Jesus, who want revival in their own communities? Come on, I pray for revival in Memphis. I pray for bones to come back together. I pray for breath and strength and life to come back into neighborhoods, into people, people far from God, that, that you wouldn't be able to drive by certain places without feeling and sensing the conviction of the Holy Spirit to turn from sin and turn towards grace, but then to go and love your neighbor as yourself. I pray for that. Why, when it's happening somewhere else, whatever you might call it, 
would you do anything if you're a person of faith to celebrate the work of God? Not criticize it because it doesn't really flow with your flavor. Not demean it because it doesn't do all the things that you want a quote-unquote revival to do. I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why they hate. Because <laughs> they don't love. Let us love one another. And the reason this is so damaging and the reason this is so uh, hurtful in my heart is not just because there are people not being loving to one another. Because I can give you a million examples just from like the last week of this happening. This is just one very much in the news. It's very easy to talk about. It happens every day on massive levels and on micro levels. And the reason it breaks my heart is yes, because listen, the word of God says, let us love one another. But also because Jesus says that the proof to the world who does not believe in him will be how we love one another. In other words, people who are criticizing other people of faith, people who are demeaning and just, who are being anything but loving towards their fellow brother and sister are actually making it harder to reach people who don't know God. Say, what? This is what Jesus said. John, when he was younger, wrote the Gospel of John. And in John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, he records Jesus saying these words. So now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Then he says, your love for one another will prove. Somebody in that chat, type prove. Come on. If you're listening to the podcast, just say this out loud. Say, it's proof. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. For people who talk a lot about love, a lot of us are not very good at loving. We are good at loving people who are carbon copies of us. If you think just like me, and vote just like me, and worship just like me, and prioritize things just like me, and don't get too much into that, and get a little bit into that, then I'll love you. But the one another folk who aren't like us, who their worship you may not call worship, who their exuberance you may not call exuberance, or their exuberance you may call excessive. For a lot of us, that's tough. But that's also what we're told to do. That's also who we're told to love. We are told by Jesus to love each other like he has loved us. That's not a suggestion. That's not, why don't you put this on your to-do list? Why don't you put this on your growth plan and see if you can become more loving? No, he says, love, just do it. Love one 
another. Why can he say this? I'll tell you why. Write this down. Because true love is a commitment. So true love can be commanded. True love is not some feeling of affection that you have towards somebody else. That's an aspect of love. But that is not what Jesus is talking about here. He is talking about a commitment, a devotion, an effort, a work to demonstrate this love that can be told. See, at every wedding that I do, husband and wife there, people in the crowd or watching on, I always say, regardless of what scripture I use, regardless of whether they want it to be a more serious and it's formal and everybody's all buttoned up and shut up, you know, or it's, it's more casual, whatever, I often come back to the same reality to remind everyone watching, but also to remind this husband and this wife as they begin this, this covenant together. I say it this way, that love is a decision. Because it is. It's not just a feeling, although you'll feel it sometimes. It's a decision. Come on, sometimes in vows, people say, for better or for worse, there's sickness and in health. It's a decision that I choose you, and I'm going to be there for you, and I'm going to lean in, and I am going to love you. Jesus is telling us to decide right here and now because I'm commanding you to love each other. People of faith love one another. They go to a different style church, love them. They don't see eye to eye with you on every jot and every tittle of the scripture. Love one another. Love one another. Why, Jesus? Because this is how the world who doesn't believe that I exist, doesn't believe that I love, is going to know that I love them, know that I've given myself for them. And he's right, because he's Jesus. But he's also right, because 2,000 years of human history has showed us the same thing. Brennan Manning puts it in such a clear way in his writing the ragamuffin gospel. And I think about this statement a lot where he says the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips. I love you. And then walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyles. He says that is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. That we do a real good job of saying we love. I love you, and I love you, and I love, and I love. We say, but Brennan would say, echoing what Jesus said, what John then lifted and said another way, apparently at the, ev at the end of every single church service that he was brought into, love one another. And don't just talk about it, be about it. Don't just say it. Show. See, because that is the first reality today as we continue understanding and demonstrating this thing that is love. Because at the end of the day, it is all love. I would love for you to write this down as you begin to get in your heart, get in your soul what love looks like coming from us, people of faith. That love isn't said, it's seen.
Love isn't said, it's seen. But today, we have made the speaking of love somehow like the highest demonstration of it. I don't know if you're dating anybody right now, or maybe you remember a time when you did. But when you date someone, there's a lot of nervous moments, right? But one of the most nerve-wracking moments in all of your dating journey will be the time when one or the other is trying to muster up the courage to express their affection to the other one by saying, I love you. Some of you remember the first time you told your spouse, the first time you told your girlfriend or your boyfriend that I love you. And it's, 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 it's nerve-wracking, right? Knees weak, palms sweaty. Come on, Emma. Like, like, like it's, it's nerve-wracking, and you're like, I, I, I don't know what's going to happen. And are they going to love me? Are they going to say it back? Are they going to be, oh, that's neat, and then they're going to run away from me, and we're never going to talk about it. What's going to happen? And we get, we get nervous because we think that love is something that we say. And that the great expression of it is to tell someone we love them. I think Jesus would have a problem with that. I think Jesus would say, man, don't mess with me with your words. Show me by what you do. See, the scripture records that Jesus loved many people, that he had love for them. But there is no place in scripture where Jesus says that he loves someone. Did you know that? Go look it up. If you find one, email me with it. I ain't found it, and I've been reading the Bible for a long time. Find a place where Jesus, in Matthew, or Mark, or Luke, or John, or as he appears at the beginning of the book of Acts, find me a place where Jesus looked that so-and-so person in the eye and said, I love you. <laughs> he never does it. Sure, Jesus loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus. John tells us that. John even tells us that Jesus loved him, <laughs> that, that, that he was actually his, his favorite disciple and more power to him. Yet so much of what we talk about and what we sing about and what we think about when we think about God and his love for us as expressed through Jesus and Jesus and his love for us. The Jesus that loves me, this I know because the Bible tells me so, but yet he never said it. So how do I know so clearly and so certainly that he loved me, that he loves you? It's because he showed it. He is saying he showed. There's some people who will tell you that they love you, but never show you that they love you. I see people all the time who will tell me, come around, man, I love you, man, I love this child, I love this, and they never show it. Man, I love you, but if I needed you, you wouldn't be there for me. The problem for many Jesus followers is we say what we're unwilling to show. We will tell someone, I love you. But when things get tough for them, we tell them, man, be warm and be well. <laughs> I love you, though. 
you know? But man, I'm struggling, man, but you know I love you, right? All right, I gotta go though. We tell a city, we love you, city. Come on, we love you, Memphis. But we never do anything demonstrating with no strings attached that love that we say we have for a city. And the city wonders whether or not the people of God in that city actually love them because all they ever hear is that. They say they love us, but why don't you post up in our neighborhood? They say they love us, but why don't you actually care about what's going on in our lives? They say we tell God we love him. God, I love you. Some of you even sang that earlier as we were worshiping together. Some of you say that every single day, maybe in a prayer. You say that every single day as you listen to some worship music. You said it even in responding to this sermon. We say to God, we love him. But we think our words are enough. We say we love all people. <laughs> but we won't allow any new people into our life. We say we love the church, but if the, the church doesn't do what I think when I think, act like I think when I want it to, and say and stand and do, then, then we, uh, huh, huh, huh. I say I love, but we don't ever contribute. We don't ever show that we love in any way. Love isn't said, it's seen. Because that's what Jesus commanded us to do. He said, I want you to love people like I loved people. And Jesus did not walk around telling people that he loved them. He showed them. See, to love like Jesus is to live like Jesus. It's to give attention to people who might need your attention. Like how Jesus did that one time when he was at a speaking engagement. He's speaking to people are crowded in around. And there's this one gentleman who, he was a short dude, and he wanted to see and hear Jesus speak, but he couldn't see over the crowd. So he climbed up in a tree to get look at Jesus, and Jesus took notice of him in the middle of his sermon. In the middle of his teaching, this speaking engagement, he looks at him and he calls him by name, and he says, Zacchaeus, I see you. Now this was significant for Zacchaeus because Zacchaeus was a tax collector. Zacchaeus worked for the IRS. And let me go ahead and tell you, when the IRS be calling, ain't nobody excited. You know? Ain't nobody like Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus had zero friends. He was wealthy, but he had zero friends. Because he was known to be a cheat. He was known to take advantage of people. And he was someone on that day who needed attention. And Jesus, rather than just tell Zacchaeus, man, Zacchaeus, it's good to see you today, man. I love you, bro. I got this speaking game. I got to go over here and do part two real quick. Jesus said, I see you. And my heart connects with your heart. I recognize you need some attention. You need somebody to speak worth and value into you. You need somebody to lean into the change that's trying to happen in your life. And so Zacchaeus, I'm going to come eat at your house today. Zacchaeus' his whole life changes. Because to love like Jesus is to live like Jesus. Jesus did not tell him, I love you, Zacchaeus. He showed him he loved him by saying, I see you. Let me spend time with you. See, Jesus met the need that was present. Regardless of whether it was uh, convenient or not. 
One day Jesus had gotten notified about a, a leader's daughter who was very, very sick. So Jesus and a pack of people were on their way to Jairus' house to see about Jairus' sick daughter. And on the way, this woman pushes through the crowd who's been bleeding for years. And she needs Jesus' attention. Jesus did not push her to the side and say, ma'am, I got another obligation, one healing at a time. Would you take a number? Jesus didn't do that. He demonstrated love for Jairus and his daughter, but also for this woman in need. Because he knew which one could wait and couldn't wait. And so he never told the woman with the issue of blood, hey, I love you. But he demonstrated love as he restored, as he brought the healing that he could bring to her. Speaking of restoring, that was like a thing Jesus did. See, Jesus demonstrated his love for people by restoring them when their failure required his restoration. One of Jesus' disciples, probably his most vocal one, was Peter. And Peter came out with all these big, bad statements talking about, Jesus, I ain't ever going to deny you. I'm going to be with you anywhere, everywhere that you go. Ain't nobody going to turn down my Jesus, Sean. Jesus, I love you. He was a lot like us. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. I'm so grateful for you, Jesus. But then Jesus is out in this kangaroo court being lied on and being sentenced for crimes he did not commit, and he's dying a criminal's death. And Peter gets a little nervous because now they're crucifying, and it's not Savior Jesus. It's not turn the water into wine Jesus. It's not feed everybody Jesus. It's not pay our taxes with some money from the fish's mouth Jesus. This is crucified Jesus. And I don't know if crucified Jesus is going to make everything nice and safe for me. So when Peter gets questioned at a fire about his devotion to Jesus, he denies him three times. Because he said he loved him. But when the moment came to show, Peter felt terrible. Felt terrible because he saw his rabbi crucified. <laughs> it felt even worse probably when that rabbi was raised from the dead and it's like, oh dang, what have I done? So one night, Jesus uh, cooks a little fish dinner on the beach. And he has a conversation with Peter. And he restores him. Because Jesus demonstrated his love, not by telling Peter, I still love you. But by restoring him and saying, Peter, I'm not done with you. I haven't thrown you out. I know other people would throw you out, Peter. I'm not going to throw you out. Jesus didn't love by just saying it. He loved by showing it. His love was shown when his friend Lazarus dies and Jesus cries. Jesus showed love for a city when he stood back on the hillside and looked over Jerusalem and saw their spiritual condition. And he cries over the state of a city. He didn't have to run around saying, I love you and I love you and I love you and I love you and I love you. He showed it because love isn't said. It's seen. Now, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with saying you love, but hear me. Saying you love is not a replacement for showing your love. 
saying that you love is not a replacement for showing your love. And too many of us have been duped in our mind thinking, oh yeah, I can say I love God. I can say I love the church. I can say I love his people. I can say I love our city. I can say I love the community. I say I love, I say I love, I say I love. Baby, your talk is cheap. You don't have to say so much if you show something. Because love isn't said, it's seen. Which leads us to the other reality connected to this reality. Because if love isn't said, it's seen, we then have to also understand that love, write it down, isn't simple, it's sacrifice. The reason we'd rather say we love than show we love is because saying I love is simple. But showing love? requires sacrifice. How did Jesus make it possible for people 2,000 years later to know beyond the shadow of any doubt he loves them if he never said it? It's because he showed it through sacrifice. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking the cross. And yes, the cross is the greatest moment of sacrifice. It's the pinnacle of Jesus' sacrifice. He literally gave his all. But can I tell you, that wasn't the only sacrifice. It was the pinnacle of sacrifice. Jesus lived his life sacrificially. The scriptures say he humbled himself. He lowered himself. He stepped off of the throne and stepped into the confines of humanity. The son of man did not come to be served, but to serve, to lay down his life for the many. It was a daily sacrifice. And see, to love like Jesus is to sacrifice like Jesus. It's to live our lives in such a way that we're not concerned just about us and ours, but we're concerned about those that God told us to be concerned about. Love one another. Don't say it. Show it, because that's love. Even when it's not simple to do anymore, when it requires sacrifice. But I need you to understand what's meant by sacrifice. Please write this down. Sacrifice isn't typically about significant seconds, but surrendered seasons. Sacrifice, when we think of it in our our minds, our, we love to go to the movies mind. We often think of it as these significant seconds where because I love you, I will sacrifice my life for you and jump in front of that bullet. There's an element of sacrifice to that. Or I will give you what I have and die so that you can live. And sure, there's sacrifice in that. In the moments of bravery, in giving that one time significantly because you saw the need. But there's more to sacrifice than that. Sacrifice isn't typically about those significant 
seconds. But it's about surrendered seasons. What am I talking about? I'm not talking about just offering a prayer one time. But I'm talking about praying for years. That's sacrifice. See, some of you get frustrated with God because you're like, God, I prayed for, I prayed for my spouse to get saved. Why are they not saved? You prayed one time. God, I've been praying for my kid. God, I've been praying. I've been God, I've been praying for revival in my city, like I'm sure they've been praying for in Kentucky. Okay. You prayed at one time. Sacrifice is about surrendered seasons. It's about day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. It wasn't just a moment of prayer. But this is what I am praying about. This is what I am praying for. God, I am sacrificing. I am fasting. I am giving of myself because I want to see you. I love you. And I'm not just going to say it one time. I'm not just going to say it because I want you to show. God, I am going to, I am going to sacrifice from myself, from my wants, from my desires, so that you can do what only you can do. See, I'm not talking about one act of service. I'm talking about serving for years. I've had multiple conversations this week just because of the places I've been. So some different um, places I've spoken uh, this week, some different meetings I've been in. And for whatever reason, I've had the same question come up over and over again. They said, well, how did your church get connected with them? How did you know them? Why are they now supporting the work that you guys are doing there? And what I've learned is that people want you to give them some silver bullet. Or here, just call this guy. And what I keep telling people is, you know what? <laughs> really, what you're seeing now is a service that we've been doing for years. We, 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 we were feeding people. We didn't have the money to feed people. We were providing toys for kids at Christmas when it was only one family and, and, and nobody, nobody was going to get all excited about one family. We, 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 were, we, were, we were meeting this thing. We, we, were, we were teaching people and trying to give people wisdom and trying to help. It. When, when, when it seemed like nobody even, even cared, and now you want our content. That's fine. And now you, you want to know how we got connected, and that's fine. But what you don't recognize is there's been sacrifice that didn't start last weekend. It's, it's been years of sacrifice, which isn't sacrifice. It's love. The root of sacrifice isn't sacrificed. It's love. It's because we love people. It's because we love God. It's because God loves us. It's not about some momentary sacrifice where we did this one thing and caught people's attention. No, 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 no. It's about showing up day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. Because we love. And love isn't simple. Because if it was simple, everybody would do it. It's sacrifice. I'm not even talking about you doing what you do because you could. I'm talking about doing because they needed you to. Has there ever been a moment in your life 
where love pushed you to give what you couldn't afford, but they needed it. Where love pushed you to give the time that you didn't have, the money that you really could not afford to spend. Or was that always your excuse for not loving? A new command I give you, Jesus says. Love one another. This is how the world will know that you are my disciples. And that I, Jesus, have loved them, the world, as they have seen love among you. See, what we want is we want love without sacrifice. And that's why our world does not believe that we actually love. Friend, in this day and age, it is not enough to say that we love. Your, 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 your posts and your programs, your, 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 your billboards, your, uh, your, 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 your t-shirts, do not do it. People need to see, not hear. They need to experience the receiving end of sacrifice, even when it's complicated, even when it's difficult. We have to be people who show our love through sacrifice. How can I do that? I'm glad you asked. Can I tell you there are ways every single day and every single week, even through this church, to demonstrate that to our city. If you're watching this at Church Online, can I tell you this Saturday you can serve? This Saturday we're hosting a grocery drive-through. We are going to serve thousands of people fresh groceries. And if it's cold, we're going to serve them. And if it starts raining, we're going to serve them. And if the wind blows, we're going to serve them. And guess what? It don't matter. We are going to serve. Because we serve when it's easy. And we serve when it's difficult. We serve when people celebrate us and we serve when nobody knows about it. Because it ain't about that. You know what it's about? Demonstrating the love that we've received to others. And can I tell you, after a couple years of doing this, we are starting to make inroads. And people are starting to believe. These people don't just talk about it, but they be about it. And maybe, just maybe, the prayers in our heart, God saved, God changed, God transformed, will happen because people did not get weary in well-doing. And they were willing to sacrifice because that's what love is. It's not simple. It's sacrifice. And you can be a part of that. Join us Saturday. Join us every single month that we do and be a part of blessing people, of extending the love and grace of our God. But it's my Saturday morning, exactly. That's what makes it love. You can give financially. You can. You say, I can't afford. Yes, you can. You afford something. You can give financially so that more and more can be done. See, the root of giving financially in and through the local church is love. It's love for God and love for his purposes. And so I give. I want the mission of God to go forward. I want the work of God to be advanced and increased. So I give. So I give. 
Not sparingly, I give. I don't hold back, I give. You can meet the need that's right in front of you that you see. Some of you step over need day after day in your own neighborhood. You become numb to the need that's nearest to you. You don't even feel it. You don't even recognize it. You don't even see them in their struggle anymore because you're so used to their struggle. And you figured out a way to deal with it to where it's all copacetic to you now. Because it's simpler to do that than to sacrifice. You can show compassion. You can give your time to somebody who just needs your time. You know, there are people all around us starving for attention. And I know you're so busy, and I know your phone rings so much, and you got so many emails, and you are so, so important. Can I tell you, that's why it'll mean so, so much. When you take time for people that wonder the whole time you're talking to them, why on earth would they stop and talk to me? Why would they show concern about what's going on in my life? Why would they say and even stop and pray for me right now? Because you love them. Because it's not said, it's seen. It's not simple, it's sacrifice. So my charge to you on today is this. Don't tell them you love them. Show them through sacrifice. Do not tell people that you love them. They don't need that. Our world does not need to hear that the church loves it. Our world needs to see that the church loves it. Your friends, your neighbors who are far from God do not need to hear your love for them. They need to see it. People in your own faith community do not need to have you tell them that you love them near as much as they need to see you love them. Don't tell them. Show them through sacrifice. Whatever it costs, whatever it takes, demonstrate. Love. Father, I love you. Thank you for your word. Father, I pray you build within us, rise up within us the determination to not just say we love, but to show we love like you have shown us. To not just do what's simple and convenient and easy, but even what's sacrificial because you have loved us. Father, I pray you empower your people. Empower us to serve. Empower us to give. Empower us to care. Empower us to demonstrate love as you have loved us so the world will know that you love them. Father, I love you. I thank you. I pray all this, Jesus, in your precious, powerful, and mighty name. And everybody said, amen.